We are certainly glad that you made the choice to be with us today in an assembly that is designed to worship God, honor Christ, and learn and be motivated to be engaged daily as better followers of Jesus Christ. I know that I can do better, and I hear from you that you know you can do better. That's one reason we teach and preach from Scripture. Throughout this year, on the first Sunday of each month, I'm delivering a series of sermons entitled, Who Will Follow Jesus? And it is this simple. We are using Scripture to study various aspects of what it means to follow Jesus. In all of this, we are urging you to start following Jesus if you haven't obeyed the gospel yet. And we are encouraging present followers of Jesus to persevere in that way of life, to get up every day and determine you're going to be better as a disciple of the Lord. Last month, we spoke about following Jesus into battle. And we're talking about the spiritual battle of right against wrong. Today, same theme, who will follow Jesus, but another part of that theme we're going to take up today, following Jesus with your family. I want to start with the last page of the Old Testament. The last page of the Old Testament, the last book of the Old Testament, in fact, Malachi 4 and verse 6, the last page of the Old Testament. Look with me at that. This concerns the work of John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ. And it says, And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. When this prophecy is connected to John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, it tells us that his mission was to turn the affections of the people back to God. But did you notice how this is worded? And what this restoration would include? A right relationship between parents and children. John would urgently teach the Jewish people toward a condition of heart that would receive the Messiah. It would include everything suggested by the language the prophet used in Malachi. Family unity is a part of that. To get people directed back to God will always involve family values. It will always involve family values. Now, this comes up again in Luke 1, verse 17. So we're talking about the last part of the Old Testament and the first part of the New Testament. In Luke 1, 17, John would go before Jesus to do this to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children 
and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, and make ready the Lord for the Lord a people prepared. I want us to see, even before Jesus came on the scene in His public ministry, in prophecy, and in the work of John the forerunner, there is this strong element of family value and family unity. Add to this the illustrations of the Old Testament, the teachings of Christ on marriage, the rich practical instruction from the epistles, and there isn't any question that we ought to embrace the aim of following Jesus with our families. The Christian life is not a solo enterprise. I want to say to you that there is a modern, celebrated, but ill-advised diversity young people are tempted to embrace. And it sounds something like this. Someone might think or boast in this fashion. Well, I'll be a nominal Christian, sort of, generically. But my wife is free to explore all the ranges of religious territory offered in the world. And whatever she likes, I will applaud her choices. And I want my children to go out into the world and explore all the possible religions and rejoice in their diversity and their independence. And we're just going to be one happy family even if we represent a varied range of religion, pagans and denominationalists and New Age and Mormons and Islam. There's some modern families who follow that course of variety and boast of their division. Diversity and plurality is celebrated very often today against the higher reality of objective divine truth. As I described that, that modern mentality, perhaps you thought of some key verses. Like Amos 3 and verse 3, can two walk together except they be agreed? Or Paul's reference to the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Or Paul saying that there be no divisions among you. God wants families to be united in serving Jesus Christ. God wants families to be united in serving Jesus Christ. The objective truth of the gospel cannot be dismissed in order to engineer some fashionable diversity. And do we want to allow our beloved family members to be comfortable while engaged in religious error? Will we turn our eyes the other way while relatives run away from Scripture? It is this simple. We want to take our children to heaven. We want our marriages to be based on vows we made in keeping with God's definition of the relationship. Parents are commanded to bring their children up 
in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So I want to take our attention to this part of our series, Following Jesus with Your Family. And here's my approach. What do we see in Jesus that needs to be present in our families? Isn't that a good inquiry? When you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you discover who Jesus is and what He did and what He said and what His standards were and what He expects of us, isn't this a good inquiry? What do we see in Jesus that needs to be present in our families? Attention to God's Word. Earlier in this series, we made the point that Jesus illustrated the respect for God's Word each one of us ought to have. When tempted, what did Jesus do? He responded based on Scripture. When engaged in discussion with His opponents and unbelievers or people without knowledge, what did he often say? He would say, Have you not read? So let's imagine Jesus walking into a typical home today. What is he going to see? Hypothetically, visualize Jesus walking into a typical home today. What's he going to see? He might see everybody's in a different room. Maybe they took their dinner plate and went off to their room. He might notice that everybody has a phone or a tablet or a computer and everybody is engaged not with one another but with games and videos and music, social media. Now what do you think Jesus would say when He got there and saw that? Maybe He would say, Have you not read. Do you assemble with your family on a regular basis around this book? Do you assemble your family around this book for reading, for prayer, for discussions about how to apply this in your life and the value of this or if Jesus came into a house and everybody is expressing a different opinion about religion and moral behavior and arguments are made from personal experience and emotion and there is no Bible. Rather, the discussion runs along the line, well, this is what I think. No, you're wrong and I'm right. You don't know what you're talking about, Dad and Mom, and the conversation is inflamed and there is no appeal to a standard. What would Jesus say? I wonder if He would say, Have you not read? Wouldn't Jesus say, Push all the ideas of men aside, put all your devices away, Open your Bible and as a family read it and discuss it with obedient intention. Discussions are carried on in families about which church to be a part of. 
and the kids want to go where the kids are, and the parents talk about distance and inconvenient drive or location. Everybody throws out an opinion, and maybe somebody says, well, we don't even need to be a part of a church or worship. What do you think Jesus would say if he were there? Would he say, have you not read? I'm asking each of us, what place does the Bible have in your family? Are you following Jesus together? Do you read the Bible and talk about what it means and how it must be applied and how urgent it is? Do you discuss how the Bible informs the choices that we need to be making? Do the members of your family go out to school or work ready to apply what they've learned in the home from Scripture? All of this is critical if you're going to follow Jesus with your family. And here's another part of that. Prayer. We're looking at Jesus and we're discovering what we see in Jesus that we need in our families. Many years ago, you may remember a saying that circulated throughout the religious world. And the saying went like this, What would Jesus do? Preachers and teachers and writers would describe some challenge or they would depict some temptation or question and then pose the lead question, what would Jesus do? Would he embrace that idea, reject that idea? Would he buy into it? Would he do it? Would he not do it? And this would begin a conversation. What would Jesus do? It is still a good question. Well, here's one answer that will come up frequently in that inquiry. He would always pray. He would always pray. One of your first impressions of Jesus when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is that he prayed a lot. And some people may not expect that because they say, well, Jesus was divine. He was the Son of God and the Son of Man. And he had all this knowledge and all of this power. And yet, he prayed a lot. There are many references showing how important prayer was to Jesus. And it can be summarized in this way. <clears throat> he prayed often. He prayed early in the morning. He prayed late at night. On occasion, he would pray all through the night. He prayed before critical events in his life. He prayed after critical events in his life. He prayed as he ministered to others. He prayed before his miracles, after his miracles. He prayed for others and with others. If Jesus walked into your family, would he hear prayer? Let me take a different approach to this. Wouldn't it be something... If you could just tell your children from the earliest age that they were able to understand. Kids, if, if you learn the Bible and obey God, nothing will ever go wrong. No unexpected tragedy, no serious illness, no difficulties, no disappointments, no hurricanes. Just learn the Bible and obey God and nothing will go wrong. God didn't make that promise. 
so we can't make it to our kids or to anyone. We live here on the earth. We are familiar with our own experience and what we've witnessed others go through. Therefore, we cannot tell our children nothing will go wrong. We can teach them to pray. I was so fortunate. I learned to pray by listening to my father pray. Every day, several times a day. I attended a church where prayers were heard by the children at every assembly. At funerals, weddings, and potluck dinners, and hospital rooms, and out on the front porch before you had iced tea, prayers were being offered all around me. People who learned from Jesus how to pray taught me to pray and to learn from Jesus about what it means. We can't say to our kids, learn the Bible and obey God and everything will be fine. We can tell them to learn the Bible and obey God, but things on earth are going to happen that are unpleasant. We can point them to Jesus who prayed and we can let them hear us pray. And we can listen to them pray and teach them what it means. Everybody knows family and home is a place where love should be found. But what does that mean? Whose definition of love will we embrace? Will it be a flexible, culturally determined, sentimental love? Will it be love as defined by celebrities and authors and TV producers and philosophers and the media? Turn with me to 1 John 4, 10. 1 John 4, 10. It is so tempting to take a word or a concept or a virtue or a characteristic... And instead of doing biblical research about what that word, what that characteristic or virtue means, just latch on to whatever the culture throws at you. And catch it and then adapt it to your own personal benefit. How much better, with respect to a concept like love, to let the Bible tell us what it means and what it does? 1 John 4.10, in this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. The cross defines love for me and you. The cross defines it. The love God expressed in sending His Son is the love His Son wants to see in His followers, which is essential to the spiritual health of the family. You may have missed it. The love God expressed in sending His Son is the love His Son wants to see in His followers, which is essential in the spiritual health of a family. In Colossians 3, the Apostle Paul described the cloak of Christ which ought to envelop the lives of all the saints. And he said in Colossians 3, And above all things put on love, which is the bond 
of perfectness. Love is the quality which brings together all the other good attributes into a single unified design for the good of individuals and families. The home will need an abundant supply of basic materials such as love and patience and tolerance and vision and friendship all based on respect for the one who made us and instituted the family. And that takes me to this. This is where we connect everything we've been talking about. If there's going to be Scripture, prayer, and love in our homes that we learn from Jesus, binding us to God and to each other, what will the daily outcome be when we go out of the home into life? It'll be obedience to God. Think of the comfort knowing that when your kids are in school and you are at work or home, you are not together in proximity, but you're united in your obedience to God. Because when they were in the home, you read to them, you prayed with them, you had discussions with them about what it means to serve God. The kids are at school acting as children obedient to God. What a comfort. Mother and dad with the same commitment. There is huge comfort in knowing when the family is temporarily apart, they're doing what they talked about when they were together. Huge comfort in knowing that when the family is temporarily apart, they're doing what they talked about when they were together. But of course, this doesn't happen just because you tell the kid to obey God and they go out the door. The daily obedience is a result of these other things that we do as the family follows Jesus Christ. What this amounts to is a heart commitment combined with a time commitment. More than just the time it takes to bring the family to the worship assemblies, an investment of time in the home, in the family setting, to talk about being followers of Christ, to read about Christ as a family. A gospel preacher who passed away a couple of years ago, who was a prolific writer, wrote these words. The preacher's name was Jay Bowman. And he wrote about what is parenting for Christians. He said it is bearing and birthing, feeding, nurturing, diapering and cleaning, potty training, spanking, adoring, teaching, providing, worrying, helping, hoping, solving, coaching, taxing, admiring, admonishing, sympathizing, planning, loving, longing, letting go, blessing, missing, weeping, and yearning together, all based on commitment to God. To use the words of Jesus, what shall it profit? If we provide our children with every material need and luxury and every device that is available electronically, 
but we fail to teach them obedience to God. The theme of this series this year is Who Will Follow Jesus? We hope each one here has decided to follow Jesus Christ. That means you have read what the New Testament says about following Jesus and you are engaged in that trust, in that obedience. And if you need some help in that direction, here is a chart we have used over many, many years when we talk to people. Do you recognize that God is above all? That the Bible is His Word? That Jesus is the Son of God? That sin is our problem, but you can be redeemed by the blood? What is your response to those truths? The apostles said, Hearing these things, believe in Christ, repent of your sin, confess your faith, <clears throat> be baptized, into Christ to arise to walk in newness of life and live faithfully with your family. Let's stand together as we sing.